Let's pray for them as I may speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's great joy to be with you this afternoon on this uh, extraordinary occasion. The last time I preached in this church was, I see, the 16th of July 2003, Sheila Nunn's Requiem Mass. And I'm sure that in a further shore and a greater light, she is as delighted as I am to see how everything has grown and flourished around here. And in spite of the investment of, I think it's £600,000, it hasn't changed a bit. <laughs> I'm reminded of the late, great Clement Freud. When he was trying to get elected as MP for the Isle of Ely, a voice called out from the back of the crowd saying, they don't make council houses like they used to. And Clement Freud rather lugubriously promised, no, if you vote for me, I'll build you an old council house. <laughs> I didn't think it could be done, but I see evidence all around me that these things are possible. So there you are, you're stretching the envelope of my faith anyway. But we all know that the church is about people as much as buildings. Our Old Testament lesson describes a process of being called by God, a sense of God, a sense that it really is God, a feeling of unworthiness, a hesitant response, but faith. Now many of us in this church, ordained or not, can resonate with that pattern in our own lives and work and marriages and homes. A sense of God, of something special, a sense of unworthiness, but a response of hesitant faith. Because the extraordinary fact is that God, who could choose to do it all using angels, and I'm rather struck by Austin Farrell's phrase, that when you think about angels, pure energy doing the will of God, it's not strange that God should have created them. What is strange is that God should have bothered to create anything else, like us. But God does decide to engage people like us in his enterprise, and the Holy Spirit continues to finger people along the way, including you, John many others here in church, ordained and not. So thank you, John, for your response to that process 13 or 14 years ago. I remember it well. Daily since then, thank you for all the work that you've done in these parts to help to grow the kingdom. And thanks for all you've done within our diocese to help self-supporting ministers to network together and to understand their work and each other better. This is behind-the-scenes stuff, but very important indeed. I notice self-supporting ministers are now about half of the clergy of the Oxford Diocese, well above the national average. And that's a considerable achievement, which reflects an extraordinary degree of commitment and work, um, if from no one else, from those ministers themselves, fitting ministry into very busy lives, along with study and everything else. But it's rather amazing that any of us are here at all. I came across a cutting a few years ago from the Times newspaper predicting there would be no Church of England left at all in 40 years' time. The decline in the number of ordinands, the dwindling away of all congregations, made this a matter of simple mathematics, that's what the Times said. 
um, the date of the article, the 27th of July, 1971, just over 40 years ago. So what are you all doing here? You're meant to be on a desert island. You're meant to have found something else to do with yourselves. Or the times won't be accurate. And just to tell you what made it so mathematically certain, the reason was the low number of ordinations in 1970. There were only 437 ordinations in 1970. And the number last year was 564. So as dying, but behold, we live. <coughs> but there seems to be an assumption in that silly article that is even sillier. That somehow everything to do with the future of the church is tied up with ordained clergy. Lots of them. And with these super dreadnought vicars, the whole enterprise has a future and that we're all doomed. That's what it seems to be saying. And I see that notion reflected by people who ought to know better, really, and certainly better than the Times. I see parish profiles that want an excellent preacher and teacher and pastor and accountant and administrator and a reflective contemplative activist manager who's also a lifted and gifted for admin and liturgy and youth and children's stories drinking cups of tea with old people and do all these things at once and they always end up saying the candidate will need a sense of humour <laughs> well friends, they will but the person who drew up the profile obviously had one thought on that one and I'd love as I look through my 300 colleagues in Buckinghamshire to think that we were all superhuman, like the ones they ordered up in the parish profiles but I find myself surrounded by ordinary people with some special gifts, touched by grace and hope and a bit of vision, but I'm afraid considerably less than superhuman. <coughs> so can I call this superhuman vicar thing into question on two grounds, really? For a start, the apostolic ministry has something to do with the apostles, the disciples. And the simple fact is, the disciples in the Bible were pretty damn useless, if you look at it, and not at all superhuman. They seldom understood what Jesus was really saying. One of them betrayed him. One of them wrote this, but actually they all betrayed him, didn't they, one way or the other? Whether it was the way Peter did, or the way Judas did, or the way they all did when they ran away on the night of his arrest, they weren't very brilliant, weren't they? And confronted by his right-hand man, we find Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan, you think in a human way, not the way God does. Now here's a bit of a poem. This is U.A. Fanthorpe, who used to teach at Cheltenham Ladies College. But when you look at the way she swears, I'm not quite sure of that fact. <laughs> it's called Getting It Across. And there's a quote at the top from John's Gospel. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now know me that thou knowest all things. And these are words put in the mouth of Jesus. This is the hard thing. Not being God, son of man, I was born for that part, but patiently incising on these yokel faces, mystified, bored and neutral, the vital mnemonics they can never remember. They know my unknowable parables as well as each other's shaggy dog stories. I 
say, I say, I say, there was this Samaritan, this Philistine, this Roman. What did the high priest say to the belly dancer? All I need is the pew for the lance. My sheep and goats, virgins, pigs, fig trees, loaves and lepers, confuse them. Fishing for fish, all for men, has not fitted them for analogy. These are my mouths. Only through them can I speak with Augustine, Aquinas, Martin, Paul, Regents, professors of divinity, and you, and you. How can I cram the sense of heaven's kingdom into their pigeon Aramaic quayside jargon? I alone must write on flesh. Not even the congenial face of my Baptist cousin, my crooked affinity Judas, who understands. Men who would give me accurately to the unborn as if I were something simple, like bread. But Pete, with his headband stuffed with fish hooks, his gift of rushing in where angels wouldn't. Tom, for whom metaphor is anathema. James and John, who want the place at the top. These numbskulls are my medium. I called them. I am tattooing God on their makeshift lives my keystone cops of disciples, always running absurdly away in the nude or lying ineptly, cutting off ears or falling into the lake. These Sancho Panzers must tread my Quixote life, dying ridiculous and undignified, flayed and stoned and crucified, but upside down. These are the deer, the human, the dense, for whom my message is. But might, had I not touched them, have died decent, respectable, upright deaths. That's done by vicars. 
What about everybody else we'd like to know? Will this church still be flourishing in 40 years' time? Well, look at the letter to the Romans. All the things that make a church a church. Long-suffering, patience, not judging before the time. Love, hospitality, grace, openness to the possibility of God and other people. Not allowing yourself to be formed by other people's expectations, but growing from the spiritual energy within you. These are not professional skills reserved to the world. <coughs> They're just the life into which God has baptised all of us who have received baptism. And perhaps in the journey of them, we're just a little bit too worried about Remember Arthur Moore, lovely man in Oxford, theologian, and he used to say, I shall start to take all those cards people send me at this time of year seriously when I begin to get them from other people, saying, please pray for all bus drivers, especially for me, as I'm beginning work on the number 23 tomorrow. <laughs> he had a point. Can I quote Michael Ramsey, actually, Christian priest? He used to say being a bishop was only an episode in the life of was in life. Being a priest is only an episode in the life of a disciple. Nothing to worry about because the energy for it is that of baptism. A vision of all human life transformed under God and a task that's hardly begun in this generation in a church that is always 40 years away from extinction. John and community you serve. That's all you need, along with the Holy Spirit into which you were baptized. God will bless and resource us all together for the road to which He has called us. He who called us all together is faithful, and He will do it. To whom we ascribe as His most justly due honor, might, majesty, and power. Amen. Amen.